Well, today is July 3rd. Tomorrow will be July 4th. We celebrate it every year. Hot dogs, apple pie. There will be fireworks. In my neighborhood, people wanted to do fireworks, not just last night, but the night before. And so sleeping with your windows open, you hear that, and you're like, was that a gunshot or is that a bottle rocket? And so tomorrow we will celebrate our independence as a country, that men and women have gone out and they have fought for our freedoms and they still fight for the good of others. And despite the corporate corruption and the political battles and the moral demise of our country, it's still one of the greatest countries to live in in America, in America, in the world. And that freedom comes as these men and women gave their lives for something bigger than themselves that they defend our country and they go and they work for those who are lesser than and who need our help. One of my favorite movies that deals with military is Black Hawk Down. It came out in 2001 about that horrible two days in 1993 where we sent our troops in uh, to keep a warlord from keeping the people from starving, that we were going to go in and set up some some camps there so that these people could get food. And the warlord, his name was Muhammad Farah Adid, and he was starving his own countrymen. And our troops went in that day to do one original mission, but they ended up on another because one of their Blackhawks, one of those helicopters, got shot down. And so these men made a decision to go in. And 19 men lost their lives that day. Some will say... We shouldn't even have been there. We're fighting a war that's not our own. Some will say that these men made the wrong decision. But no one can argue that these men and that, that, I don't know if it was a platoon or whatever it was, they went in and they went into hostile territory and they went to help somebody in need. They were bold and brave and they did it out of love for country and they did it out of their love for their own. And you and I need to understand that God has freed us. Literally, that's the language the Bible uses. God has freed us to love others. Paul says it like this. For you were called to freedom, brothers. Only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh. But through love, serve one another. For the whole law, the whole law. Is fulfilled, and he calls it one word, one phrase, that one idea. He says, One word, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. And so the question comes well, who's my neighbor? Am I a neighbor? What are their needs? What are my needs? Turn with me to Luke chapter 10, and we will see the parable of the Good Samaritan. It starts in Luke 10, verse 25. I'm going to read the parable and then we're going to watch a video of how this parable might play out in modern times. Here's the parable, Luke chapter 10, verse 25. And behold, a lawyer stood up to put him, that is Jesus, to test, saying, teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? Jesus said to him, what is written in the law? How do you read it? He answered, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul and with all your strength and with all your mind and your neighbor as yourself. And he said to him, you have answered correctly. Do this and you will live. But 
he, desiring to justify himself, said to Jesus, Who is my neighbor? And Jesus replied, A man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho, and he fell among robbers, who stripped him and beat him and departed, leaving him half dead. Now by chance, a priest was going down that road, and when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. So likewise, a Levite, when he came to the place, saw him pass by on the other side. But a Samaritan, as he journeyed, came to where he was, and when he saw him, he had compassion. He went to him and bound up his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. Then he set him on his own animal and brought him to an inn and took care of him. And the next day he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper, saying, Take care of him. And whatever more you suspend, I will repay you when I come back. Which of these three do you think proved to be a neighbor to the man who fell among the robbers? He, the lawyer, said, the one who showed him mercy. And Jesus said to him, you go and do likewise. And so if this were to happen in modern America, this is how it might look.
Yeah, Janice. Uh, listen, I, Janice. Janice. Listen, I've got pre-op at 8.30, and I'm not going to make the meeting. Well, you're just going to have to put it off till this afternoon. And make sure you tell Dr. Reynolds. Well, no, he won't be happy. He's never happy. Would you just get out of the car and open the back door like a normal person? No, not you, my son. I almost got it. No, you don't. Now, look, you're, you're going to scratch my seats. No, I can't be there in ten minutes. No. Would you just please do it? Thank you. Okay. I'll see you when I get to the hospital. So, did you remember your iodine? Okay. Hey, you never know what's in the water up there. Dad, James camps in the South Fork all the time. He said the water's fine. Well, just put a few drops in there anyway, okay? Hey, just humor the old man, okay? <laughs> now... When he brings you back tomorrow, you know that he's supposed to drop you off. Drop me off at the hospital. Yeah, he knows. Hey, we'll be fine. All right. Hey, Dad, you see that guy over there? I think he's hurt. Yeah, well, he probably is. That's what alcohol will do to you, son. No, I mean, look at the blood on his chin. Well, he probably just fell down. Alcohol thins the blood, makes you bleed easier. It's not a big deal. Now, what time are they supposed to be here? They'll be late. James had to go pick up Jimmy and Trey. Great. You can go, you know. The breakfast place is right around the corner. Oh, oh, no, I'm not leaving you here by yourself. Look, just close the door. It's cold out there. Oh, there they are. All right, I'll see you tomorrow. Whoa, 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 whoa. Wait a second. Have fun, okay? And, um, yeah... Take James to breakfast. Tell him the deacons think he's doing a good job with the youth ministry. Okay, whoa. Now, wait a second. Be careful. Wait, wait, wait. Don't forget. Two, Two drops per cup. right now. Relax, man. You can get one at the restaurant. You don't understand, man. I gotta find out who won right now. Uh, your boy's probably lost already. Yeah, whatever. <laughs> hey, don't tell me. I recorded it. Whoa. What happened to him? He's just drunk. No, I mean, it's like he got pretty beat up last night. Dad said he probably just fell down. Your dad said that? Yeah. And he said he was okay? Yeah, I mean, that's what he said alcohol does to you. There's the blood or something. <laughs> 82 to 76. I love it. Thanks a lot. Go told you I didn't want to know. Dude, what happened to this guy? I think he got beat up. Yeah, by a liquor bottle. Come on, y'all. I'm ready for a victory breakfast. <laughs> hey, you guys, hold up. Hey, sir. 
Hey, sir. Sir, are you okay? Jitun, we're here, my friend. We're here, my friend. that image in mind, let's look back at the text the Lord has given us, starting in 25. The first half of this chapter is about the mission of the disciples to the world. I would call the second half of this chapter the motive for that mission, why we do what we do. And so here we have a lawyer, whether it was in the immediate context of the prior paragraph or on some other occasion, we don't know for sure, but we have a lawyer, one who is skilled in Old Testament law. He stands up to put him to test. And that's the key phrase of verse 25. The lawyer was not interested in truly finding out what questions, the answers to the questions he was asked. He was putting Jesus to test. And so they're going to get in somewhat of a Wimbledon verbal tennis match. And Jesus, not just because he likes to play games, but to show this silliness of this test and show you the seriousness of the inquiry would engage him in this. And so the lawyer stands up to put him to test, saying, teacher, a formality, here's his first question. What shall I do to inherit eternal life? Or in the context there, what is it that I need to do to get God's blessing? 
And so in that day of the culture of the time, when somebody asked the question, the way you're supposed to go about this debate, this conversation, this dialogue was a question would be asked. You would answer the question. And then if you had something to add, you would then ask your question. Look at Jesus. He said to him, what is written in the law? How do you read it? Meaning I'm not going to play your game, lawyer. You're going to ask the question. I'm going to use the Socratic method and come back to you with two questions. What does it say in the law, lawyer? How do you read it? One skilled in the Old Testament text. And so you have Jesus 15, lawyer 0. And he answered. Good answer from the lawyer. You shall love the Lord your God with all your soul and with all, with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength and with all your mind. And so the lawyer, skilled in Old Testament law, Deuteronomy 6, 5. And he follows it up with Leviticus nineteen eighteen, And you shall love your neighbor as yourself. And Jesus said to him, you have answered well, or you have answered correctly. Do this. What shall I do? Do this and you will live. You will have eternal life. You will have blessing from God. See, Jesus was not about playing some silly verbal game, but would not allow silly tests to masquerade as serious inquiries. Jesus 30, lawyer zero. The lawyer at this time should have said, Christ, teacher, he should have said, it's impossible. It's impossible. Apart from the Levitical system, that's impossible. And appealed to grace. But he doesn't. But he, the lawyer, desiring to justify himself, he knew in this conversation with Christ, he knew that Jesus had one-upped him, two-upped him. He now was seeking to justify himself. Okay, he proved me wrong. On I just quoted him the, the classic Old Testament text. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, the great Shema, and love your neighbor as yourself. And so seeking to justify himself, he tries to wiggle out of it. Who's my neighbor? And so everyone perks up. Jesus is going to show you the way of life. For those who really understand how to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, Jesus is now going to show you how to love and who is your neighbor. And so he's going to ask a question. It comes in verse 36, but he's going to give a story to introduction, much like what you saw earlier. And so everyone's ears are perked up. The original audience listening to how Jesus is going to reply to this lawyer, Luke's readers are waiting. And so he sets the scene. Who is my neighbor? And Jesus again, this time says, okay, I'll tell you a story. Jesus replied, a man, he's probably assumed Jewish, was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho. Going down. Now, if you were to look at a map, let's say we had a map up there. And you're looking at Jerusalem. Some of you have been to Jerusalem and we are of godly jealousy, right? We want to be there someday. 
but you've been to Jerusalem, and you see on that map that Jericho's kind of north. I mean, if you're reading the map, shouldn't you be going up to Jericho? No, because Jerusalem is about 2,000, maybe 3,000 feet higher. So though it's north, it's higher than Jericho. And so this man is walking down. Literally, if you were to view this, and some have viewed it, it's like single track maybe uh, on the side of a mountain. And it winds through this valley. It's a very treacherous place. The road is is often inhibited by robbers. And so this man is going down from Jerusalem to Jericho through this dark alley of sorts. And he's going down and it says he fell among robbers who stripped him and beat him and departed, leaving him half dead. And so if we were watching this, it would cut to commercial. And you're like, what's going to happen? And so here's the next scene. Verse 31, by chance. Nothing happens by chance. Jesus is heightening the situation by chance. A priest and everybody is like, yes, this is a priest. This is one whom the Bible and tradition tells us this is the public health official. This is the one who's carrying the iodine. This is the one that could have helped. And they're thinking, this is the one he's going to. Oh man, the stories you're ending this too soon. We just got back from commercial break and this priest, this deacon by chance is going down. So he's leaving Jerusalem. Maybe he would just come up for his lot during the time of sacrifice was going home. We don't know. We're not told. And this priest was going down that road. And when he saw him, passed by on the other side, sees him and he passes by on the other side. Whether it was because of religious purity or his personal safety, he probably knew that this was a dangerous road, wanting to get home, having just served, or if he knows if he touches something, if this man's left half dead, he's probably not moving. He's probably lying there and he's been trained from his earliest days not to touch any impure thing. And so the priest sees what's happening and he passes by on the other side. And likewise, a Levite, not quite a priest, a junior priest, a youth pastor. When he came to the place, saw him and passed by. And there's two interpretations. When he came to the place, does that mean did he come to the place where the the priest was, to that same place where he saw him and passed by? Or did he literally, kind of like the video showed, get a little bit closer? took another look, sees, and then he passes by on the other side. It was a priest. This guy was, you would think he was the one, the public health official, he was there to help. Or it's the Levite, the one who's got, usually has alms to give to the poor, money to help those in need. And they both, in what you see, a key word there in verse 32, likewise, they both see and they pass by On the other side, the first two stay religiously clean and lose sight of the heart of their ministry. First Samuel, Samuel to Saul, when Saul was trying to fake obedience, Samuel said, has not, has the Lord 
great delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices as in obeying the voice of the Lord? Behold, to obey is better to sacrifice. And in Hosea Hosea 6, 6, through the prophet Hosea, he's speaking to the priests, for I desire steadfast love and not sacrifice. And Matthew would go and quote to the Pharisees, go and learn what this means. I desire mercy, not sacrifice. And so the Jewish people who were listening were thinking the priest didn't help. The Levite didn't help. This is fitting right in with our anti-clerical thoughts. I know who's coming next. The good, common, layperson Jew. Cut to commercial. And now you're left hanging. This is how Jesus told his parables. They're there. They're waiting. Who's next? Not a priest, not a Levite. It's going to be that, that common layperson Jew. Look at 33 and how it begins. But they were expecting something else. And he said, but a Samaritan, a Samaritan. And you could just see the crowd if you can imagine yourself being there. But a Samaritan. Samaritans? Samaritans? Jews don't like Samaritans and Samaritans don't like Jews. In fact, and if you look back in chapter 9, verse 51, Jesus was wanting to go through Samaria. When the days drew near for him to be taken up, he set his face to Jerusalem and he sent messengers ahead of him who went and entered a village of the Samaritans to make preparations for him. He sent his messengers, hey, Jesus is coming. Can we get a place to say? And in 53 of chapter 9, but the people did not receive him because his face was set towards Jerusalem. The people did not receive him. The Samaritans wanted nothing to do with Jesus. And the Jews had wanted nothing to do with Samaritans, so much so that in John 8, 48, in trying to get under Jesus' skin, the Jews answered him, are we not right in saying that you are a Samaritan and have a demon? And so Jesus chooses the one most least likely the one that would most shock them in the story, the one that they would say, the other two should have helped, but this guy. And as he was journeying, it says there he came to where he was. Definitely we know that he didn't just see and pass by, but he literally came to where he was. And look what the next phrase says. He felt compassion. Twice, the priest and the Levite see and move, no discussion of their feelings. This one felt compassion. He had compassion. And when he saw him, he had compassion. We've been talking about this over the last couple of weeks. Love begins with looking. Love fills compassion. Love leads to action. It, it, it is characteristic of Jesus' life. When he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them, and he said, pray, for the harvest is plentiful, plentiful, but the labors are few. He saw the crowds, he had compassion on them, and he healed their sick. He saw the crowds, he had compassion on them, and he taught them. It's the life of Jesus. Love begins with looking, love feels compassion, love leads to action. Would the Samaritan do something about what he felt? And he saw him and he had compassion 
And he went to him and he bound up his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. Some believe that the priest would have had this. Then he set him on his own animal. Gets real detailed here so you see what's going on. And he brought him to an inn and took care of him. And the next day he took out two denarii. We talked about that last week, the day's wages. And so you have a, you have a man giving up his money and he gave it to the innkeeper saying, take care of him and whatever more you spend, I will repay you when I come back. And so here's the Samaritan, the least likely individual that they would have assumed Jesus would use and the least likely individual that you would think would take care of a Jewish man comes He comes to him, he feels for him, he takes care of him. And I pulled out, I think, six things that he did. He endangered himself. Everybody knows going from Jerusalem to Jericho, yes, you're going down in geography, but you're also going down in a place that's not safe. And so he endangered himself. He identified with him. He went over and he had compassion. He felt this guy's name. And he cared for his immediate needs. He bound him up. And then he went and he sacrificed time and money. And if we're in the story, and this is a Samaritan, his reputation, what would those people think of him? Who he went over and helped an enemy. And he was inconvenienced for him. You saw it in the video Here comes potential money. Here comes somebody who needs a ride. And he says, no, you can go down the street. I've got some higher purpose to live for. He didn't allow his personal schedule to interrupt his higher purpose. And he provided for him. In sum, the reason why I think Jesus tells this, in sum, he did everything that he could. Jesus 40, lawyer, nothing. So now Jesus gets to his question. Which of these three, the priest, the Levite, and look what Jesus calls him, the Samaritan, which of these three do you think proved to be a neighbor to the man who fell among the robbers? Answer, the lawyer's good at answering questions. He wouldn't even use the name Samaritan, but he said the one who showed mercy. So Jesus takes his question, who's my neighbor? And he flips it on its head. Who proved to be the neighbor? Just like he's doing with this whole story. Priest, Levite, no, not the good common layperson, Samaritan. He answers the question, the one who showed him mercy, and Jesus said, you go and do likewise. Twice. What shall I do? Do this and you shall live. Who's my neighbor? Who proved to be the neighbor? The one who showed mercy. Go and do likewise. Game, set, match, Jesus. The issue is not who we may or may not serve. That's what the lawyer wanted to do. He wanted to limit his love. But serving where a need exists. 
love for God, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength expresses itself as we live a life sensitive to others. We see a need, we meet a need. A beautiful testimony of this is that we sent out an email this week because we had no teachers for um, children's church. Somebody stepped up and met that need. Saw a need, met a need. Next week, I had to, I, we're going to be teaching a, a different class. So we had to rearrange the schedule. Talked to a young man before the service. Hey, could you fill in for me? You bet. What do I need to do? Saw a need, met a need. And so what is the gospel application of this? Well, there are a lot of whatabouts. Every time you teach this story, you watch the video, there's a lot of whatabouts. Does this mean I need to help every person that's on the street corner when they're holding up signs? Aren't they just going to go use it on alcohol anyway? There are other aspects to this idea of unlimited love. Sure, Second Thessalonians says, if anyone is not willing to work, Paul says, let him not eat. But Jesus didn't explain every option. This was Christ's sermon, a specific message for a specific person on a specific day, not a systematic theology where he's trying to cover everything. So I'd encourage us, as I, in my own life, encouraging you, let's not take the punch out of this parable trying to explain away every exception. Because we could do that. We could sit here and, and, and try to explain all these ways that... Mm-mm. Who proved to be the neighbor? Who proved to be the neighbor? What Christ called the lawyer and he calls us to do is that we don't have to go to Somalia to fulfill our mission. Missions begins in the kitchen. Right? It begins with my physical family, my wife, my children, my mother, my mother, other mother and father. Huh? Right? Wife, children, parents, my brother and his family. That's my physical family. See a need, meet a need. And then my spiritual family. Right here. Taught the third through fifth graders today. Who's your physical family? And they were naming their brothers. And I said, well, who's your spiritual family? And it clicked. And I'm like, I'm your brother. And they're like, that's kind of cool. Because they're my brothers. They're my sisters. And so you move from your physical family to your spiritual family to the world, to the neighborhood, to Yetis, to Heidis, to whatever you do in your hobbies and clubs. And as the parable tells us, to anyone. The Bible tells us that we should go to all and we should meet the needs of those in our own household. Let us not grow Let us not lose heart in doing good, for in due time we shall reap if we do not grow weary. So then, while we have opportunity, let us do good to all men, all of them, all men and women, red and yellow, black and white. They are precious in his sight, all of them. And Paul says, especially of those of the households of faith. But you're saying, okay, you're challenging me to do something that's, I don't, I don't know about. That's oh, it's tough. It's, it's yay 
impossible it is. We cannot love God completely or love others sacrificially on our own. It's impossible. It's impossible for us to understand the love of God and the enormity of his grace without him first opening our hearts. It's impossible. It's impossible for us to love him above all else and love others more than self. Try it on your own and this is what is going to happen. You will either be deflated and defeat Oh, just it's another day. I had an opportunity to speak to my wife or my other parents, and I just it slipped. Oh, I'm I'm a failure. Or you'll pretty good day today. I affirmed five people, and you know. Blah. But by the power of the gospel, we can do this. We're commanded to do that, and we're enabled to do it. I'll show you some commands in a minute, but I want to show you the gospel in this parable. Augustine was allegorizing. He tried to see the wounded man as Adam and Jerusalem, the heavenly city, and Satan as the ones, the robbers, the priest and the Levite as the Old Testament, the inn as the church, and the innkeeper as Paul. That's not good, he, but he was on the right road because he was wanting to say, well, how is the gospel here? And he said that the Samaritan was Christ. He was wrong, but he was on the right road because Jesus Christ, more than the Samaritan, he came to his enemies. The Christ, more than the Samaritan, gave and endangered himself. He inconvenienced himself, did not see equality with God, something to be grasped. He was equal. He's part of the Trinity. Sacrificed himself, took care of immediate needs. Jesus Christ, more than the Samaritan, came and gave his life for his enemies. And to those who turn and bow the knee and receive him, they do as well receive this power to achieve the impossible. This, there's, you mean to say my forgiveness is to be unlimited? Yes. And my love, unlimited? Yes. How? By the power of the Holy Spirit, working through his word. God commands it and he enables us. I want you to take just a quick journey with me through where are these commands on love in the Bible. Just a quick little journey through the New Testament. How about Romans 12? You don't have to flip with me, but if you want to, you can. Romans 12, verse 10. Love one another with brotherly affection. And then he gives another phrase, outdo one another in showing honor. Give preference to other people. Paul raises the game in Romans. And if you keep flipping to 1 Corinthians, that classic passage on love, he says, love is patient, love is kind, love does not envy or boast, it is not arrogant or rude walks through that and he said, love never ends. He talks about things that will pass away. And he says in 13 of chapter 13, the very last verse. So now faith, hope, and love abide. Faith. We have faith in what Jesus done in the past. We have hope in what he's going to do in the future. These three, but the greatest of these is love because it's a personal testimony to the faith you have and the hope that you are awaiting Love, says Paul. And in Galatians 5.23, 
we went over this today in Sunday school. Asked the third to fifth graders. Can you ever be good enough? No. Good answer. Who makes you good? God. How? I said, by the power of the Spirit, what's an F word? And they go, fruit. So we wrote the fruit down. And I asked them, which, which, which of these does the Holy Spirit work easily in you? And which of these is, is harder? Because it helps me know how to pray. And they were open and honest and said, this one seems to come easier. And this one's the one I have to work on. And so we, we know now. So I can pray for them. It's the first one. 523. 522, but the fruit of the Spirit, first one, love. Ephesians 5, 1 and 2, therefore be imitators of God as His beloved children, very next command, and walk in love. Colossians three fourteen starts in 12, it says, put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, patience, forgiveness, Above all, verse 14, put on love. And Second Peter, one of my favorite passages in Scripture. Second Peter 1. For this very reason, make every effort to supplement your faith with virtue, and virtue knowledge, and knowledge self-control, and self-control steadfastness or perseverance and perseverance godliness and godliness brother affection and brotherly affection the culmination of all these things that we are to supplement build up our faith by love and you're saying those are good commands but you still haven't showed me in the bible where it says we can do this you're setting us up for failure no i don't want to do that the law leads to grace look at first john 4:19 maybe you've memorized it Seven words. We love. The cause. We love. High commands. Outdo one another in showing honor. The greatest of these is love. The fruit of the Spirit is love. Be children of God. How? Walk in love. Be patient. Be meek. Be kind. But above all, love. Supply. Virtue or moral excellence, knowledge, self-control, perseverance, brotherly affection, love. How? We can do that because he first loved us. There's your power. There it is in the scripture. That's a great chapter if you wanted to marinate on this idea of living out where the lawyer was trying to say, well, what should I do? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Well, who's my neighbor? Those are always tied together. They're the greatest command. That First John 3 and 4, starting in 3.11 through 4.23. How can you say you know God if you do not have love for others? John's very simple. I like it when John writes because guys like myself, just he, we love because he first loved us. There's no, uh, Paul can, even Peter said, Paul can get kind of difficult. Not John. We love, how? Because he first loved us. He is the cause of our love for other people. And so you're right, like the lawyer, we cannot love God completely and others sacrificially. He failed, we fail, but the law leads to Christ and in Christ, by the power of the Holy Spirit, we can love. We're commanded to love. And so Christ calls the lawyer, and all of us to do what he knows to be true. By two or three witnesses, he gave him the law and he gave him this story. He tried to put Jesus on trial. Jesus puts him on trial. 
and says, go and do likewise. And so works do not save us, but our saving faith proves itself in good works. And so the answer, who's my neighbor? Anybody that needs help, even your enemy, even your enemy. To that end, the question I ask myself, I have by chance been placed here in Colorado. Am I a neighbor who needs my help? Rich or poor, black or white, who needs my help? What's the neighborly thing to do? And will I prove to be a neighbor? Yet basically three people in this story. You had the man, the priest, and the Levite. Oh, well, you had four people, but two to go together. The man, the priest, and the Levite, and the Samaritan. The priest and the Levite give us this main point. Religion does not replace compassion. Religion does not replace compassion. I'm not, there are some out there who want to go so far against or religion is bad, it's all about relationship. No, there's some good to religion. It doesn't replace compassion. From the Samaritan we learn compassion for everyone is required by, compassion for anyone is required by everyone. Compassion for anyone is required by everyone. And even my enemy, if they're in need, I'm to be their neighbor. But here's one that's often overlooked. What about the injured man? I'll just read you what Dr. Craig Blomberg, seminary professor in Denver. He's a neat man. I've been emailing with him trying to get him to come up here. It'll be fun. Here's what he wrote. But there's a further dynamic here as the wounded man receives help from the Samaritan. With the Samaritan, we're given a model of compassionate behavior to imitate. And we don't want to take the punch away from the parable. With the priest and the Levite, we're warned against allowing religious duty to make us unloving. But from the man in the ditch, we learn the lesson of our need to be willing to receive help. One of the ironies in many Christian churches is that many folks do a pretty good, fair job of ministering to others, have never learned how to ask or receive help when they're in need. One of the frustrations of countless Christian pastors comes from discovering people in their own congregations who are hurting and have been so for some time, but no one has been aware of their situation because they refuse to tell anybody. I don't want to be a bother, they say. I can manage on my own, others retort. Or I don't want people to think I have to ask for help. These and other excuses are really cover-ups for the sin of pride, for refusing to let the body of Christ work the way Christ designed it, with each one ministering to someone else, grieving with those who grieve and rejoicing with those who rejoice. Our rugged Western individualism makes it tougher to do this in the 21st century America than many cultures around the globe. I was thinking of that. Is that true? You know, I'm trying to read. It is true because if you read the Gospels, there's a man who comes, when Jesus uses it as an illustration for prayer, a man comes in the middle of the night because he needs something. And he's not going to just sit around and say, well, I have this need, but I don't want to ask anyone. He goes and he bangs on the door and he keeps banging. And the guy originally doesn't get up because at that time we slept with the whole family. Could you see the whole daily clan just right there? The guy's banging on the door. Mick goes, 
though my family's asleep, I will get up because he's been persistent. I need something. So yes, that is the way other cultures view it. That's not how we view it. I'll take care of it. My pants, boots, I'll go for it. But we must swallow our pride and admit our needs. Otherwise, and here's where it hit me the most, the irony will only increase and when we eventually reach that point where we realize we do want help and then we complain because the church hasn't given it. Pastors, elders, deacons, leaders in the church must be perceptive and ask good questions and ask follow-up. My wife's great at it. Come home from a conversation, she'll go, well, did you ask this, this, and this? I'm like, can we do can we do pre-meeting uh conversations together than these debriefings where you always ask these great second questions and I'm just sitting here and wish it would have makes me want to call them right back up. Hey, I've just thought of three more. Actually my wife thought of them, blah blah blah. Right? She's it's we do need to do that. Absolutely. And at the same time, we all, pastors, elders, leaders included, need to let people know when we have needs and not be afraid of it. And so how are we doing as a church on this? That's A lot of that's personal, how are we doing as a church? I want to use VBS as a model. People sacrificed, they inconvenienced themselves, they identified. It was, we got video of it. It was great to see one of our, our uh, I was going to say older men, but I'll call it, you know, I'll just call them a couple of, couple of our experienced men. Is that better? Is that better? He's looking down. Is that that better? Experienced men throwing their arms around, waving, inconvenienced, sacrificed, identified, got down on their level, little kids running around, I've got to use the restroom. Little boys who got to use the restroom, you can tell. So we go, come on, right? You get them in there and you're talking to them. They come up and they beat the computer. What is that? Uh, it's, it's It's a computer. It costs a lot of money. Right? You identify with them. And so it's a model. We come together, we see a need, and we met a need. And we can excel still the more because we we have other needs. And so I would say, today, let's not be the priest or the Levite where religion replaces compassion and our schedules and everything else. I'm too busy. I've got to get to the surgery. I'm snapping at my son, and then I drive away, though I'm a surgeon and could have helped this guy get to the hospital and because I'm a surgeon probably could have got him in quicker than anything else but I drive off and let's not just go up and view the situation and just think oh there's not much we can do there's always something we can do let's be like the Samaritan see a need meet a need and if we're in that position of the injured person let us reveal that need it's no shame hey I'm hurting. I need some help. We'd love to hear about it. That movie, Black Hawk Down, finishes with one of the best scenes ever. I can't show it because obviously they take a great scene and degrade it by throwing in curse words. But I'll tell it to you anyway. So this young soldier who hasn't been there as long comes up to the older soldier and he's looking at him because this older soldier's packing in his more bullets. He's getting ready to go back out, getting a little bit of grub before he goes. And he, you going back in? He's getting his stuff together. 
There's still more work to do. There's other men out there. This guy says, you know, when I go home, all my friends say, why why are you doing this? Why are you going back out there? Are you some sort of war junkie? You know what he says? It's about the man next to you. It's about my neighbor. That's what he's saying. And so if we do this as a church, as individuals, they may say, oh, they're just holy rollers. They're Bible beaters. They're just do-gooders. They're they're just doing good because they have to do good. Well, we'll be a little different than that soldier. We won't just not say anything. We'll say, actually, no, we can't do anything to be good. But there was a man who gave his life for us, and so we're just imaging him. And it's about the person next to us. Father, would you do a mighty work in my heart and the hearts of those here? And if anyone should be listening to this in the future, Jesus is very clear. Jesus is very compelling. It's a high call to be a Christian. Our forgiveness is unlimited as well as our love. And you've not set us up for failure. You've led us from the law to the cross. And you've empowered us by the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. I pray that we would be filled with him and empowered by him to do what you've called us to do and bear the fruits of the Spirit, the first of which is love. I pray for opportunities today that we may see a need and meet a need. I pray for opportunities tomorrow and the next day. I do pray that you would give us discernment and understanding what situations to step into and what situations to be wise in. But I pray that this community, Eagle and Gypsum and Edwards and Avon and Vale, this state and this country would be changed because believers don't limit their love but prove to be neighbors. I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.